0: Give us Jesus, amen? Amen. You know, this morning uh, we continue a series of of presentation that we started a few weeks ago, but I know that uh, some of you are new, actually a lot of new faces and some coming back. I know the season brings new people to the church too, but um, turn with me to your Bibles to chapter 5 of Revelation and chapter 6, actually chapter 6 is where we are today, but um, we are going to quickly, kind of set the stage for the four horsemen of Revelation, and you're thinking, well, what does that have to do with the Advent, (laughs) right? I got to tell you something. The Advent is about Jesus Christ, amen? I got news for you. Revelation, everything, is about Jesus Christ. So if we focus on Revelation even through this Advent season. By the way, wonderful job our our praise team, amen? I know some of the songs are new to us, but the message is the same, amen? It's about the reason why we're here, to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. And to experience Christ together. Because Christianity, it has to be more than knowledge. It has to be an experiential knowledge. Amen? Hello? (laughs) In other words, it has to be more than just words on a page or doctrine that you know. It has to be an experience with Jesus Christ. And so um, people today know about the Bible and know the Scriptures but do they know Christ in an experiential way? That's what Revelation is about. And so, yes. Yeah, so we're going to continue focusing. And, and and you know, it's 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 um just been impressed the last few weeks, and that's why we got into Revelation even towards the end of this season of this year. Because a lot of people using Revelation and using the Scripture to trash talk the church. And trash talk each other and to f- instill fear on people and so through prayer I say you know what if there's so many people out there using the scriptures and using Revelation in the wrong way we need to really get the right perspective and the right, the right picture because what happens is that a lot of the times the ones who get to speak the loudest are not necessarily the ones who are following God's will entirely according to Scripture? So that's why we've been fa- we've been focusing on Revelation. And so, yes, to answer your question, is Revelation has to do with the Advent? Yes, it does. Amen. Because Revelation is about Jesus Christ, and at the center of the book, if you if you know anything about Revelation, by the way, we started a. Uh, 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 kind of complementary study on Revelation on, on, Friday, on Wednesday night for a while now. They started, they've been doing it for a while, reading the scriptures, reading Revelation, and, and, and you know, sharing together what it means. And, um, and just last Wednesday, we started also a supplementary study with, uh, how many of you know Dr. John Pauline uh, from the Loma Linda University? The, the, I think he's the chairman of Loma Linda University Theology Department now. Um, we're using his videos to, to bring us back to the basics of Revelation, and one of the beautiful things that I saw um, that he happened on, on on Wednesday was this: that he said um, the people that we were there. It said Revelation is really not as complicated as people make it out to be. Can you say Amen? Because the truth is that so many times we want to get up on tangents and little things about Revelation that the Lord never revealed. For example, um, one of those things we were studying about in chapter 10 this Wednesday was this idea of the seven thunders of God, the God's voice in speaking, you know. And so a lot of people are going to, well, what are the seven thunders and what is the, you know, what does that mean? And so, as a matter of fact, this evening a lady that writes a whole book, 300 and something pages, on what are the seven thunders? voice that, they, that John hears, and you know what, all expe- speculative, because the Bible doesn't say anything about that, <laughs> Revelation doesn't get into it, it just mentions it, and if anything, we could find in the scripture that when the voice of thunder, it refers to the voice of God, so it has to do something with the voice of God, but it was not explained to John, and it was not explained to us, but people get sidetracked in these things that were not explained. And they missed the bigger picture, which is very clear, and I want to tell you, as I study more and more, really, it is clear and simple. Revelation, it's simple, because Revelation tells you the beginning what it's going to be about, it tells you again what it's going to be about, and then it focuses at the end on the end time and, and, and the messages for the people of God but it's really not as complicated as people make it out to be so when we talk about the horsemen and you're thinking, wow, the horsemen by the way, I just got to clarify the horsemen, before you go out and and be thinking of anything many people have come up with weird theories about the horsemen so we're going to kind of set it up today in a very uh, real and honest way to tell you this that horsemen are not to be taken literal this is symbolic and, and, you know, we could get into details that some people have taken literal, literal and they have gone back to history and trying to figure out who the horsemen are. But four things that you need to know if you want to understand really what the horsemen are about is that they need to be taken, not literal, but only symbolic. As a matter of fact, Revelation 1, chapter 1, it says that the whole book, is set up come with me to revelation chapter 1 verse 1 and uh, chapter 6 is what we're going to study today but we set it up quickly here revelation 1 1 and we'll go into that and we're going to our topic quickly here today and we're not going to be an in-depth study i'm just going to give you highlights for you to paint a bigger picture of revelation chapter 6 and i invite you to come to join us on wednesday night as we continue to dig to the book and get the seminars you know that we are we'll be studying from and talking together about the book of revelation chapter 1 verse 1 says the relation of jesus christ which god gave him to show to his bond servants now this word show actually in the original greek means to signify i mean some of your scripture bibles there it has a a little a number next to it or letter and then it says or signify which means that again the book it's about symbolism symbolic so if it's not explained within the text and says that it's literal you need to go to the default and assume that whatever it's going to be about it's symbolic it's signified and there's a lot of symbols and signs and revelations that again if the, if the if the writer john doesn't explain that it's to be taken literal, you need to go by default and understand that it must be taken as a symbol to signify what the message is. So, they're not literal. The horses are symbolic. Another clue on why they need to be taken symbolic is in chapter 4 and 5. If you read chapter 4 and 5, and by the way, we've been talking about chapter 4 and 5, when the the focus of John goes from from earth to heaven, right? Chapter 4. And in this chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see that a lot of the language there is really symbolic, too. I mean, we find, uh, you know, bees that are full of eyes and, and, you know, and, 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 and the elders, and, and, and it's talking about the heavens, you know, and the throne of God. And we find the picture of God who's sitting on the throne of this is God. And then we, we, go, we run into a problem in chapter 5. There's a crisis where no one can open the book, remember there was a scroll given to, uh, God has a scroll and he's saying nobody can open it, and so John begins to get all desperate and begins even to weep, and so the only one found, the crisis is resolved by whom, is solved by the Lamb, who is again symbolism of Jesus Christ, and so the Lamb becomes, here in chapter 5, the Lamb begins to take center stage in the book of Revelation and is the answer to the human problem and to the problem the crisis that arises there in, in in Revelation chapter 5 And so a lot of this language is symbolic referring back to heaven and so we must take that also that in the context of chapter 4 and 5 then we need to understand that chapter 6 can all of a sudden become a literal and start describing kingdoms and people you know and things that are going to happen in a specific way and finally as we think, and we're going to quickly try to set up it up for you this morning, a little bit more in depth. when you take a symbolic, the horseman, then things make sense. In other words, it makes more sense to look at those at the horsemen of Revelation chapter five, six as symbolic, and then things begin to make sense. And I think I, I, I kind of forgotten about my um, yeah, there you go. If we could get this. No? Am I? All right. That's good. And that's the context we've been talking about of chapter. There you go. Am I, am I doing it? No. Oh, it needs to turn it on, I guess. There we go. Okay, man. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So that, that's kind of the setup we were doing in chapter, um, chapter 4 and chapter 5. Let's get right into today's um. Chapter 6, verse 1 and, and, and verse 2. Let me pull out my outline notes here. I have a whole bunch of notes here that I've been doing. All right, so chapter 6, we find that is the Lamb takes a book, right, and begins to open the seals. And so this scroll, this book that's been given to the Lamb, I mean that God has in His hand, is sealed. And and in previous weeks, I mentioned quickly to you that when something is sealed, you can't really reveal. It doesn't reveal uh, what's inside. And so, as the Lamb takes the book, the scroll, the scroll, then it begins to break every seal. Now, the seal, as as the next seven seals, the seals does not reveal the message that is inside of the scroll. Right? It's just leading towards. The final revelation, when the message of the scroll is going to be re- revealed. So every seal will be taking us closer to the revelation of what's in the book, but it's not what's in the book. Every seal is just getting us ready to hear or to get ready for what is in the book quickly. And, and I need to mention this so that we know. In Revelations and in the New Testament, a lot of the New Testament writers, especially John also, use a lot of the Old Testament, right? And only as we know more of the Old Testament is that we understand more of Revelation. Now, as a matter of fact, every reader that is listening, first century reader that is looking at the letter of John, the Revelation, they are very familiar with the Old Testament. So to them, this was common. This was common knowledge almost. But what happens today in our context is that a lot of people don't really know the Old Testament, a lot of religions, a lot of denominations, a lot of people today only focus in the New Testament and don't understand, don't know about the Old Testament. So it's good for us to know about the Old Testament because it helps us understand, especially when the New Testament writers refer to the Old Testament. Let me give you quickly four ways in which the revelation, uh, the New Testament writers, especially John, use the Old Testament. The first is citation which is basically, it gives a reference, and at the end, it kind of gives you a footnote exactly where they're getting it from, right? So it's a citation. It tells you exactly where it's coming from. The second way is that they refer to it. uh, All right, guys. I don't turn it on. It might. Quotations. Quotation, when the New Testament writer uses as a quotation, is a lengthy enough uh, wording, from the original New Testament, uh, Old Testament passage that everybody recognizes where it comes from. So there's enough of what was said in the Old Testament that they, they're quoting that. And so people know where it's coming from. Now the next two is one, the next two that are not so obvious, but nevertheless, the New Testament writer is making reference to the Old Testament. And the, that one is an illusion. An illusion is the writer wants the reader to know where they're coming from, the text they're referring to, but they only use like a phrase, or they use a word, they don't use extensive writing, they just kind of let you know, hint, a hint here or there, they refer to the Old Old Testament passage, that's an allusion, and finally, an echo is one of those other not so, all right, echo, is using the language from that context without referring to the reader to their place. In other words, a little more like a like it brings you memory of what was said in the Old Testament, but it never really uses the language that was there. So why am I saying this? Because in chapter six, and listen to this, if you need to understand chapter six, if we're going to understand what chapter six is about, we need to understand that John is making an allusion to the Old Testament. He's not quoting, he's not, you know, uh, citing from it or a citation from it. But he's making an allusion in the language that he uses there. It gives you a word here, words there, a a hint of what is he talking about. And the allusion in this passage, chapter 6, is in the context of the covenant, of the covenant of God. Any of you are familiar with the covenant of the Old Testament? Okay. Quickly. And this is important because, listen, the main... This is very important to us. As you understand the book of Revelation and as you understand the message of scripture. In the Old Testament, there was a contract or covenant between God and Israel. Remember that? Now, the contract of the covenant provides for Israel security, security in the relationship with God. Why? Because it does say, let me see if I can get this here. There you go. The contract or the covenant describes the relationship of what God will do in this relationship between God and His people, but also describes what God expects of His people. Are you following? The contrary, the covenant in the Old Testament tells us spell out what God will do, so it gives security because we know that God is faithful to His word, and we know what He's going to do. There's no guessing what God is going to do because we have a covenant with Him, and so. At the same time, it gives us what God expects of His people, of the people of God. So there's that security, and there's no surprises. Now, the key as we understand the covenant is this. Okay, let me see if I have another one there. Okay. But as we engage in this relationship with the people of God, and going back to the Old Testament, it's because the people of God, as they partook of this covenant, if you follow the covenant, if you do what God expects you to do, what happens? There are blessings. Amen? But if you don't follow what God has asked you to do or what he expects of you, then there come curses. And I'm not going to get into where it is, but if you go back to Leviticus chapter 26, Deuteronomy, it's all spelled out there for you. We're just going to go back to Revelation for the purpose of being able to cover a little bit here. But this is important, folks, because people don't understand this. If you claim that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are in a covenantal relationship with Christ. Amen? And we're going to, you know what, I think maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here. But, but, but this is important. This concept of the covenant is important. Because God has spelled out for His people what He expects of them and how He's going to act. And there are rewards and there's consequences. Now, those consequences were given to us not as punishment only, but they're actually there to try to entice us back to God. In other words, when the people of God do not follow or are not faithful to the covenant, then God is trying to get their attention back and that's what the consequences come about. It's not a consequence of only just, oh, you deserve this and you, God is punishing you for it. Not for the people of God. God reacts like that for those who are not with Him. But for His people, the role of these consequences is not for punishment, it's for, for, you, for God to get your attention back and get you back into a covenantal relationship with Him. Do you understand the difference? Because there's a difference, folks. There's a difference. It's, this is not salvation by works. This is not legalism, and I think this is where people get a little bit sidetracked. They think that this idea of the covenant is to be legalistic. No, is that if you are in a relationship with God, then you want to preserve that fellowship and you do what God expects you to do. Amen? And, and that's what the rewards and the consequences are. But, well, let's go quickly and, and, and let's read together Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. So that you and I are clear about this covenant set up here for Revelation chapter 6. If you have it, you could read it for us quickly. Exodus chapter 19 verses 5 and 6. Anybody has it? Go ahead and save me a little bit of saliva and let me... Revelation 9, 15, 5 and 6. Okay, I'll read it for you. Just got to drink a little more water. He says, now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my what? My covenant. If you keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Son of Israel. Amen? So listen, in the Old Testament, this covenant relationship this contract that God has with his people. God is supposed, he wants to make Israel a nation of priests. And they're supposed to be God's ambassadors and God's priests to the rest of the world. Now I ask the question, did this actually took place? Was it fulfilled? The answer to that is no. Israel continued time and time again walking away from this covenantal relationship with God. And they never became, to the full extent, the people that God wanted them to be. So this did not happen. As a matter of fact, let's go back, uh, just to give you an example, 1 Kings chapter 19, and, and it's right there. And then we'll, we'll go back to Revelation and wrap up together our, our time on this book. Just setting up for the next time we meet on these four horses. And I'll give you a little bit quick on the four horses. 1 um, Kings chapter 19. You remember... Elijah and the people of God come to a standstill, chapter 19, verses 14 and, th- and on. It says, then he said, this is uh, Elijah, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. Turn down your altars and kill your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left and, this, and, and they seek my life to take it away. This is who? Elijah, right? So he's fearing for his life and he claims, listen, he says, the people of God have forsaken God's covenant and he says he's the only one left. As a matter of fact, that's interesting because um, that's kind of our human perspective. A lot of times we think that we're the only ones left, <laughs> faithful to God, Everybody else is going to hell. But we are the only ones, you know, we're the only ones. And and this is Elijah. Elijah is saying, God and and Elijah are having this conversation. And he says, you know, God, your people have, have failed you. And you know what happens later because then God tells Elijah, hey, I got news for you. There's some other people that have been faithful. And then God brings them together. And by the way, that is God's pattern all through history when the people of God thinks they're alone, hello, <laughs> somebody talk to me now, when the people of God think that they're the only remnant, they're the only one serving God, and the rest of the world is condemned, the Lord says, I got other people that are serving It's interesting because in this, the pe- but here in Elijah, Elijah feels... That human institutions fail God, have failed God, but God still has this covenant relationship with his people. Amen? Never mind if the people of God have failed, and, and, and the truth is that what Elijah is describing is true. Israel have forsaken the covenant. They were not living up to the covenant. They were not doing what God wants them to do. He was doing it, but the people have killed the prophets. He's not lying, right? It's true. So the human institution of the nation of God had failed God, but God still has this contract with his people, amen? Because God is faithful. And so he proceeds to tell Elijah, and by the way, let me give you this. I heard this, and, and I think this is something that we must apply here. N.T. Wright writes a book that is called Simple Christians, Simple, Simply Christian. He writes this book, N.T. Wright. And he basically says this, that's whether you're a secular person or, or you're a religious person, listen to me now, and, and this is kind of the nugget, I want you to think about this, because this brings it home for us as we talk about the covenant, as we're going to talk about the horsemen later on. For this morning, this is kind of my main point for you. Whether you're a secular person or whether you're religious, everybody knows that there is good and there's evil, right? I mean, it doesn't matter who you are, you got to accept it, there's people that do good in this world and there's evil in this world. The problem is that most of the times we, the line that divine divides good versus evil falls in between us and them. right? I mean, this is the issue. So whether you're religious or secular, when everybody wants to decide when a human being decides who is good and who's on the side of evil, most of the time, that default line is us versus them. Whether it be my religion is good, yours is evil. My ethnicity is good, yours is evil. My food is good, yours is evil. My country is good, yours is evil. There's something about our human nature and human institutions. When we decide what is good and evil, always the fault line goes to us versus them. Now, N.T. Wright makes this point, and I, and I think this is the, kind of the center of the New Testament scripture when it comes about e- good and evil. He says this, Now, the New Testament, listen to me now. If you didn't hear anything else, this is what you need to hear. What the New Testament says is that that default line that divides between good and evil, it falls right down in the middle of my heart. Right down through here. You See what that means? And that's what the New Testament says. The evil is not out there like we think. Evil is right within us and right in the middle of our heart, there's the struggle and Paul in the New Testament talks all about this. If you want to find evil you don't have to go too far. And so religious institutions are good. Amen? I mean churches and denominations and religious institutions are good because they are created as a response to God's work and understanding in the community. Amen? But as you look through history we must realize that a lot of the times religious institutions begin to make this line of good versus evil. And we think that us, that we are the good and they are the evil. They lose tra- sight of, of God's original intention to why we came, we came into existence in the first place. Which was to become these priests and ambassadors for God, for good to the world let me wrap it up with Galatians and and this is the text we're going to finish on Galatians chapter 3 I think um, yeah I'm just going to leave it here for you Galatians chapter 3 I had that one picked here and in Paul we believe that Paul writes the book of Galatians okay what is going on with my chapter 3 Verse 26 and 29. So this, this importance of us understanding the covenant relationship that, we, that the people of God has with God. We already kind of covered the Old Testament perspective on this. But in the New Testament, this is what, it goes back to this covenant relationship with God. In chapter 3, verse 26 and 29, this is what he says. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with whom? With Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And listen to this, verse 29. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So this is why the book of Revelation is so important to us. Because in the center of the book of Revelation is Christ. Amen? And in the New Testament, this covenant relationship goes. And listen, and this is where the Christian world takes it. This is where you, we followers of Jesus Christ, we know that now the covenant relationship of Christ includes who? Amen? Each one of us. If you, be, if you belong to Christ, he says, then you are Abraham's what? Seed. So therefore, this covenant relationship of what God will do for us, His promises, all His promises in the Old Testament, which, by the way, they never find true fulfillment. If you go back to the Old Testament, the Old Testament was never fulfilled. All the promises can never happen. And they only happen in the New Testament. Guess who's the one who fulfills them all? Jesus Christ. So if you believe in Christ, all the promises... That God has from the beginning of time in this covenant relationship, all that He promised to do comes true for you and me in Christ. And because of that, then He also expects a certain behavior, a certain way of life from you and me. Amen? And there are blessings if we follow Christ. Listen to me now. And there are curses if we don't follow God. And this context and why this is mentioned is because this is the curses is what. Is described in this chapter 6 of, of, of Revelation. So these are, are, are the curses to those who are not following God's way. But in Christ Jesus, Galatians three twenty six and 29, the truth is this, that now this covenant relationship has been taken to the world. So you and I are in this relationship and fellowship with God. And He is your God and we are His people. Folks, this is why it's so crucial that we understand that we can't jump to become judgmental with people. Like, you know, begin to decide who is right and who is wrong. I mean, we follow God in our ways, and God gives us the wisdom that we need. And the more we s- spend time in the Scripture, the more we know His ways, amen? Right? I mean, if it's all there. How to live in Christ, it's all in the Scripture. So if we want to know more... We need to understand that we need to get more into the Word of God. But there are people who are being faithful to God today, even if we think that we're the only ones left. Now, what does that mean to us? The bottom line, and, and let me wrap it up this morning. And, and I, I invite you to come to join us on uh, on, Re- on wednesdays too we're going to continue following this theme of, of revelation i think we're right now in chapter 11 to uh, chapter 10 we covered last time because the book of revelation gives us a perspective of this covenant relationship with christ and what he means for us in the end time and i don't know about you but i know everywhere we look the signs are there amen even if you look at within the church and outside of the church it seems that strife and and judgment and leaving the church and, and people going to and fro and not knowing who they follow, they seem to be following men instead of following Christ. And so if you look around, you find people hopping churches from place to place. And this Orlando is a beautiful place to do that. I mean, somebody called me yesterday and, and, uh, and, and I guess they were offering, I didn't know what it was, but they were offering, um, offering themselves to do a sermon, I guess, coming up on some weekend that they're going to be here. I'm praying about it. I've got to check the guy out. But anyway, the... The thing is that he asked, he said, well, I want to know if, you, if, you, if your church is the place where I want to go, where I, I need to be on that weekend. Experience. And I said, well, it depends. What are you looking for? There's so many churches in Orlando. There's like over 50 churches, 52, 55. If you want to spend a Sabbath in every church differently, every Sabbath, you don't have to go to the same church the whole year, and you're still a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> right? Your membership is in some church that don't know you anymore, but you are Seventh-day Adventist. You know, you could go to Patmos, you could go to uh, Mount Sinai, Mount Olive, I mean, you name it, man, every single year. Me, with two churches, I go back and forth, I feel like nobody knows me anymore. Imagine people going to different places every Sabbath. But it just seems that that's the norm. Everybody just going different places, and they're looking for the sermon that they like, and the ways that they hear it, and if the speaker is loud, if it's not, if it's, you know, whatever they're looking for, or... And, and, in Revelation, the bottom line is none of that. is The bottom line is not the institution. The bottom line is Jesus Christ and your relationship with him and this covenant relationship that you and him have. And so it all goes back to that fellowship that you have with Christ. It doesn't matter. Really, I'll be honest with you. It doesn't matter what church you go to. Hello? You say, wait a minute, Pastor. That's sacrilege, right? If you are connected with Christ, amen, If you truly connect it, because that's what revelation takes us back to. Because it's all about being in this life relationship, fellowship with Christ. He is the author of our faith, right? And the finisher of our faith. And so whatever you think your journey is going, I want to, I want to really ask you to sit back, especially as we come to the end of the year. I know we things get fast. You know, tonight, tonight I want to invite each one of you. If you want to stay for potluck, I think a Sister Lana I just saw her. She was calling people to help her out. So we have lunch for you. We're more than glad to have you share with us. But tonight we have a special uh, visiting church. One of those 52 churches is coming down here to us. They, they offered to do a special Christmas program for us. So we think that fellowship is great. Um, it's going to be a whole beautiful thing. A whole fift- 35 people are going to come and do a special program for us. Focusing on Christ. Amen. And by the way, don't let this thing about if it's christmas pagan or not you know it messed you up i mean the truth is again the institution may fail you but if your relationship with christ is right that's what christmas is about amen i mean what is wrong if we use this time where everybody's talking about the advent and, and the radio and outside and every church is program what if we use this season to focus back on christ who cares if they started, I don't know, if there's a pagan origin like so many people claim. But listen, the cross was a pagan origin too. And Jesus used the cross and turned it around to be a blessing to the world. Amen? So why do we get hanged up in this little horses like, oh, yeah, the, the Christmas is just for the pagan. You guys are going to go to hell. Get off that horse, man. Use Christmas to be more effective. In centering back to Christ. That's what it's all about. And wherever you are, if this covenant relationship that you have with God, you understand that you're connected. You can trust, you're secure that you know what He's gonna do for you, amen. It's all there. Our God, our Jesus Christ is faithful, He came to die for us, He paid for our sins, amen. This is why you and I are saved. Hello? And then we have the honor to live life according to what He wants us to live. Not as a legalism way of being, a legalistic way of being, but because we're in this covenant relationship, we want to live like He wants to live. So let's use this time to reassess our lives, reassess our journeys. This end of the year, I don't know about you, I get a little melancholic to start looking back at the year. I am kind of melancholic, just per se. It has to be part of the preaching thing, I think. Because you've got to reflect and look back at things. And, and so you look back to the year and how do I do? in my covenant relationship with Christ? Do I need to take inventory and begin to refocus on Jesus? Don't, don't refocus only on in institutions and men and humans, humans, because humanity will fail you. Amen? Systems will fail you. Denominations will fail you. But we can't use all that to start doing like Elijah was doing and say, hey, I'm the only one left, Lord. No. The truth of the matter is this, that we don't see the invisible church. There's the visible church, but there's the invisible church. Those who are following God are faithful to Him. And you and I are just part of this bigger picture of what God is doing in the world today.